Hi, this is Brian Hughes at Third Degree Burn. I owe everybody a little apology here up front. Uh, as John and I were going through this show and discussing all the books, uh, I made numerous references to how they should be available in Kindle format uh, at Amazon. And it's just not the case with all of the books on there. There are a lot that are available in Kindle format, but don't take it because I said so that it is there. Uh, beyond that, uh, we pretty much have every, everything covered. And uh, hopefully you'll enjoy our show. It's a great way to, it, it's showing you great ways to spend your time if you happen to be stuck at home during the uh, entire coronavirus uh, experience. Um, I really want to, you know, give thanks to all those people that are uh, working uh, out there in the service industry, whether it's restaurant or a grocery store or, or whatever. They are making such a difference in our lives, and they're the people that get the most crap from everybody out there. Please be kind to them and thank them for doing what they do, because beyond everything else, they're the ones putting themselves at risk right now, and uh, they're probably the ones that get paid the least. So, you know, show them a little respect. Be sure to be cool to them. There's no reason to treat them any different than someone that happens to be a rich billionaire sitting in some house somewhere. All right, let's get back to the show. And uh, I'm going to bring in, uh, not a friend, but someone I really like to, to open us up. Thanks. Have a great day. Down to business. I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi. And uh, I got my blackjack gum here. And I got that feeling. Mm. Yeah, that familiar feeling that something rank is going down out there. That the dice are loaded Everybody rolls With their fingers crossed Everybody knows The war is over Everybody knows The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. My name is Brian Hughes and I'm not here with Tim Elliott. What the hell? But you are here with John, the yes. intern. John Hyatt is here. Hey, John. Hey right there. Did I say that right? Hyatt? You did. Okay, good. Because I noticed in some spellings you have a J. Yeah, that's and a I, Dutch way of saying it. Yes, and I, I, I am just uh, apparently heinously bad about getting people's names wrong. Ask David yeah, <laughs> about that. Uh, anyway, so we got kind of a special thing here. Uh, yeah, Tim is not here today, and uh, David, of course, is not here as well. But... Um, we, of course, recognize that there's a lot going on in the world right now with the, the coronavirus as it's hitting the United States and Canada and the other outlying areas here. And other, other places, of course, around the world are, are, are going through this and, in some cases, a, a much worse state uh, if you're in Italy. Um, and we know that right now everybody is hunkering down at home, trying to stay away from everybody, try to, as they say, socially distance themselves. 
uh, from others. And we just want to kind of give you uh, a, just a, a quick show here to go over some, some things that you could probably spend your time reading if you've got some downtime. Now, I know that not everybody is getting downtime. I myself am, uh, am doing a lot of work from home. I've always, I mean, I've been working from home for the last six years, but things have ramped up, you know, with all this going on and, and the company I work for sending people to work from home. So, uh, still, there are a lot of people in different uh, industries, restaurant industry and, and, and other places that are just having to go home and sit this one out. And it's for those and people that just have time on their hands. We're going to give you, uh, each of us, John and I are going to give you our top five stories to read during the social distancing. What do you think about that, John? Did I did I say that okay? Was that you, you did? That's great. Uh, I feel I lyrically uh, or a um, kind of a speech aphasia going on right. And just let me get a, a little uh, helper here. Yeah, that's Mountain Dew. Oh, I was going to ask if that was a Guinness. No, 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 no. I, I, I don't do much alcohol these days. Oh, yeah, I don't blame you. The downside of diabetes, of course, uh, the downside of diabetes is also that I can usually only have like one of these Mountain Dews a day. I shouldn't have any, strictly speaking. But I got that under control right now, so I'm not, not too worried about that. I am, of course, wearing surgical gloves and a mask. Kidding. Uh, <laughs> but you know if you're out there and you feel inclined to do that you know i understand but just understand there are a lot of people that really need them in the medical uh industry yeah. right now i've got a lot Oops. of a lot of relatives in the, in that biz i got a cousin that's a nurse up in st louis it's just she is working almost around the clock it's crazy yeah i have a a friend whose daughter is a nurse in the bay area and they're really short on those types of things yeah. so now, for the rest of us, the best thing that we can do is stay at home, if at all possible, only go out for necessities, uh, you know, but then also realize that a lot of the stores and the places that you can get things from have delivery. Even Walmart has delivery. If you've used the Walmart app, you can sit there and just go and fill up your list. They'll pick everything, and you can have them bring it to you. It's, it, I don't believe it costs that much. And no, a lot no. of the food delivery services, uh, Little Caesars, Papa John's, and stuff like that are waiving delivery fees right now. Uh, during this uh, particular crisis, uh, for those that are so inclined, so keep a look on your on your favorite uh, food delivery and uh, see about that. But Absolutely. hopefully, you guys got a lot of, lot of stuff stocked up at home. Um, Not hoarding stuff, but just uh, enough to keep going. Yeah, we're we're doing well here. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm cut myself off. Yeah, this morning was the last time I had to take a trip, and I I just had to go and get um, uh, some airborne and Alka Seltzer. Because yeah, I, keeping ourselves healthy is important. Yes, and uh, I'm a vitamin C junkie, so <laughs> gotta have that. Yeah. All right. Well, oh. uh, this is this is going to be fun, and uh, you know, John and I were talking about this over the last day or so. Um, now, the reason why Tim is not on, of course, is Tim is actually in the process of moving. He's going to be moving to Las Vegas uh, just to get away from me. <laughs> Because, you know, he, he's in Addison, which is about like a 45-minute to an hour drive. And apparently I've been spending too much time outside his window talking, you know, about John Byrne. And, but, you know, it's, it's, it's no big that, deal. That's enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so Tim, Tim is really busy getting, getting all of this stuff ready and, and, and whatnot for that. Um, and we haven't heard from David. I'm, I'm sure David's fine. He's uh, got um, uh, just uh, was not able to join us this morning. Or today. It is, it is afternoon. So, now, 
Did you have anything you want to get into before we get into this? Just that, uh, well, uh, just that I have really been enjoying the Elsewhen series. It's been a lot of fun reading that, and so many folks on the uh, website there, um, John Byrne Victims, have been inking and coloring and producing some really cool pages from the ink. So it's a it's a fun story. I'm really enjoying it. A lot of great stuff. So I hope other people are going to be able to go on and read that as well. Yeah, and and you know the the Burn Victims group on Facebook, um, run by Steve Wilcox, yeah. is is I, I you know it's just one of those great groups where there's a lot of uh, collaboration cooperation. Uh, you know he's he's a big advocate of our podcast. And uh, they also – he's got one guy on there that every time Byrne finishes uh, a book of Elseone, this guy goes and puts it into a PDF format so that you can download it and read it on your, your Kindle, tablet, you know, whatever. Um, and, and so, like, uh, right now it's what? There's 11? Is there there's 11? There's 11. Yeah, there's the- 11 currently done that you can go and download and read. Or you can just go to Byrne's website, burnrobotics.com. In the fanfic uh, fanfic section, and you can read them starting from book one onto yeah. uh, the last one that finished in February. And he's got nothing that's coming out in March. The next one, I believe, is going to be coming out April sixth or April seventh. That's what he posted. Is that yeah. uh, be out that first that first Monday of April? So two weeks so. From, two weeks from tomorrow is when yeah. it comes out. But I think the first page is one that we're already familiar with based on uh i think he already posted it to let us know what's what's coming next and that was the the page gladiator and if i spoiler warning if you guys haven't uh, seen any of this joff ah. remember joff from uh, the dark phoenix or the phoenix side the original phoenix saga yeah wow great yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's he's really doing some really good storytelling and the art is looking very good and I'm really enjoying the the progression of it and we're up to this will be a year since he started this. So it's like getting a I mean, although he releases a page a day, it's only a book a month. So yeah. <laughs> we're, we're still going a month to month here. <laughs> and I got to say, you know, of course, as, he, as he's been going through this and, and, you know, initially when he was doing it, when he started doing it, it was just to scratch an itch. And he thought he was going to maybe do one, one, one story, one book. And it was the one that was in the Savage Land with, with uh, Carl Lycos and Modoc and all that. And, you know, the his style on it, of course, is much like his style was when he was actually doing the X-Men back in the day, back in the late 70s and early 80s. And as he has progressed on uh, and he realized that he wasn't going to publish this through Marvel, he was just going to go ahead and, and put it out on his site as fan fiction, that he's really, really tightened up the pencils because that's the format in which it's going out, just in pencil format. So anybody that uh, you know has half a bit of skill in artwork can actually pull these down, you know, uh, print them out, and try inking them themselves. And some people are even inking them using apps on their tablets and even on their phones. Yeah, that's to, amazing. To, to ink and color them even. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember who that one guy is that's uh, doing the coloring on it. That's been really interesting. The only thing that I'm not a big fan of is that his uh, – the New Sentinels are what, purple or pink or, or whatever. And yeah. Bernard described them later as kind of a pearl gray, which makes sense to me. But, um, I mean, still, they're beautiful. 
Yeah, he he mentioned that he knew that, but he wasn't able to find the right coloring that would reflect well enough. So that's why he kind of went with a modified version of the original Sentinel colors, which was purple. Yeah. And he's doing a really good job. I really everyone who's posted any type of of colored pages on there has done a great job and uh, just enjoyed seeing it in color it's great to see the pencils and then it's great to see the the inks but boy when they start putting out color pages it's like yay this is exciting yeah i'm I'm sure at some point we're gonna have like fully colored now i mean the thing is is like the one guy that's doing the the colored pages um he's not inking it he's just letting coloring it as is um, and then there's another guy, Paul DeBetta, I think, that's been inking it and coloring it. And he's come out with some really beautiful pages from the first book. Yeah, he has. They've they've turned out really nice. I'm trying to find that other guy's uh, pages. That's what I'm trying to do as well. <laughs> but because it's been a few weeks, it, uh, you know, they're they're further on down because he did those a while ago. There he is, Jeff Tolbert. Yeah, shout Jeff out Tolbert. to Jeff. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, he's. They've both been doing good, and all of the all of the inks that have come through have just been so f- uh, fine, and uh, it's it's exciting. And, and a huge appreciation from me to John Byrne for doing this. I really appreciate that he's uh, continuing this and do, using his creativity and and making us uh, something that continues on from a great era f- for me. And uh, I do I do really appreciate it all. Yeah, I'm, I'm in so many ways just, and I'm trying to think of the word, you know, it's like every now and then I just stop and marvel at things that are going on in the world. And this is one of those things I marvel at. Who would have thought after all these years, 40 years, I mean, Days of Future Past was 40 years ago. And I think it was 40 years ago this last week, wasn't it? Or was that the Wendigo story? Wow. Yeah. But, and I mean, Byrne had actually... On March 14th of 1980 is when he turned in his resignation to the X-Men books. That was when he'd seen the um, the page with uh, Colossus, or he'd seen the book, the final book, and saw that, you know, no matter what he draws, he's still going to be at the mercy of the scripting that, that Claremont, and Claremont can change whatever he wants. And he, he just decided, no, that was it. That was enough. Mm-hmm. And but he was able to move on to something good and, and getting the Fantastic Four. And I think, of course, that right there is uh, the stuff of legends as well. Yeah, yeah, that 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 definitely is. They, they did so. <laughs> I was so excited. Well, I was sad to lose him on the X Men, but when I knew that he had picked up the Fantastic Four, that was phenomenal. But back to Elswan, you know, the thing is, is that, is that we're we're almost on our twelfth issue. I think he's going to at least go to twenty. Because he's got a full storyline. Of course, the cliffhanger on this one was the the reveal. And should I reveal this? No, no. There, but there was a huge. Well, well, I don't know. It's been it's reveal. been it'll be six weeks by the time it comes out. So spoilers then for the next few minutes. Yeah, spoilers. Yeah, that that the reveal at the end of the last issue was that Lalandra had merged with the Phoenix Force to become what appears to be Dark Phoenix. Or Dark Lalandra. I don't know what you know <laughs> which yeah. way you want to go with that. But uh, I mean, of course, when one of the things that that Byrne and Claremont had planned on doing way back in the day was that they, they had notes on the things they were going to do over the next 
few months as they continued on the stories. And one of them was the fact that Phoenix alone, not Genius Phoenix, but Phoenix was going to come back as the villain, the regular X-Men villain beyond, say, Magneto, you know. And so they they definitely had plans to do that before all this other stuff went on. That shooter came back and said, no, no, she's got to pay for what she's done and, you know, go on from there. So, you know, I mean, he's, of course, having to change a lot, you know, based on just what has, you know, has gone on in his mind as far as the story, you know, over the last 40 years. But we're get, we're really getting uh, just something wonderful that, that not, you just don't expect to see. And we're getting it for free. So, uh, you know, just like I said, revel in these times because something like this just doesn't happen every other day. Exactly. And, and uh, it's just really great to see the, the alternate world that he's building from that pivotal point at the end of the Dark Phoenix saga. Uh, so it, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, this this uh, last book actually made me think a lot about the um, the Fantastic Four issues where Galactus comes to Earth with Terax and all that. And then you had the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange and uh you know, even Spider-Man and Daredevil showed up in those stories. And, you know, they, they, they all had to work together to, to fight Galactus and defeat him. And then we're seeing, you know, the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, and, and the X-Men all working together in this uh, this current storyline. Um, and just crazy, crazy stuff happening there. And, of course, I, I found it very uh, interesting, the Jaws jokes that uh, Burm was able to get put in there, the little Easter eggs. <laughs> Uh, if you're paying attention, but uh, that's yeah, a lot of fun. I have been enjoying the weaving into the rest of the Marvel universe, which was the way that they did that. There was always those little yeah, uh, cool, you know, it affects everyone. So yeah, he's bringing them in and they're showing up, which is great. Yeah, it, it's a little different than than I mean, you know, like back in the days of Stan and Jack, and when John and Chris were working together, they would have like, like, like in the dark Phoenix saga, that one page where the Phoenix is leaving the earth and you see the silver surfer or Spider-Man or Dr. Strange or the fantastic four all reacting. And it just takes one page and then you go back to the story. And that's something that, that Stan and Jack did back in the day, uh, you know, in, in their stories. And, and it was always great to see that kind of callback, but this here was just unprecedented. I mean, this is, this is more like something you would see in a secret wars type event book. Mm-hmm. Than than anywhere else, but but what he's doing is just a lot of fun and, and amazing. Uh, and I have to excuse uh, excuse myself on this, um, everybody. My phone is going to be doing this from time to time, making that noise that you you probably heard there in the background. And I just have to look at my phone to make sure it's not something that I have to drop and uh, take a look at. But these are not relevant to me right now, so I don't have to worry about it. But you're going to hear those from time to time, and I'm sorry it has to happen, but I have to hear it now. I think we can change to our main subject, do you, don't you? I do. All right. So what we're going to give here is each of our own top five John Byrne stories to read during the social distancing. So if you're one of those that's stuck on the couch at home, uh, hunkering down, this will be something that you, you can pull up these to, uh, to read, whether you, you, you've got something that you've already bought or you can actually go onto Amazon and get a Kindle version um, get a, a digital version through Comixology or whatever. We're going to give you a couple suggestions here on some things that, that you might be able to read to, to pass the time away. Now, 
we came up with some ground rules as we were discussing this before, because just like anybody doing a top five, there's some things that are very well-spoken, well-known, and everybody, of course, uh, says, well, you've got to do these. And so yeah. we had said, what, the Dark Phoenix Saga, uh, Days of Future Past, and I'll even throw in Man of Steel as one of those that's like, okay, yeah, that's that's one of those that anybody's probably going to have on their shelf, and those are probably just, you know, no-brainers. No but we want to kind of look at some of the other stuff, talk about things that may not have gotten as much press. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, and wanna... if anyone out there happens to have never read those, then please go get them because they yeah, are. Really I mean, good who, who are you if you haven't? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, hopefully yeah. the, 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 these other ones that we discuss might be something that you, you maybe you're not even aware of. Yeah. And, um, that you know, this will give you a chance to check out something. And you know, virtually all of these are going to be available in some way, form, or fashion for you to either download or have sent to you, or you can find it at your LCS if you're brave enough to go out there. Though I'd recommend that you try to do it any other way than than actually going out into the world. Or, or talk to your LCS, uh, which means local comic shop. If someone yes. doesn't know, uh, call them and maybe they have them and they can mail them to you. My LCS is actually within walking distance. <laughs> and, uh, I, I mean, it's just like I could be there in 10 minutes. But, yeah. uh, I, heck, I don't even know if they're open right now. They may they may be closed. So yeah. yeah, this will affect a lot of them. So if you can, support your local comic shop as much as possible, and maybe they can mail them out, and that will help them as well. And they may only be so, open on Wednesdays when the new books come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. So do you All want right. to start off and give me your number five? Now, we don't necessarily have to do them in any kind of order, just, you know, five each. And, um, you know, it's not like a worst to first or anything, but just, you know, go ahead and go ahead and see. What, tell me what your first one is. My first one is the Reunion of the Invaders from Namor 10 through 12. Oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, I mean, and they, they go up against... Um, I forget. Master Man and Warrior Woman. Master Man and Warrior Woman, and I, I really love that storyline. Of course, it, 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 you know, pulls you back to the, the older stories. Of course, you think back to the Burn and Stern run on Captain America, but then also, of course, the, the Invaders themselves. But uh, I, I really enjoyed that, and of course, that was right in that, in that duo shade phase that, uh, that Burn was going through. Uh, yeah. On the book. Not too far from uh, when he actually left the book. Oh, I guess about a, we're about a year away from when he left the book. Yeah, he left around twenty four or twenty five, I believe. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I mean, still at that point, he was he was hitting pretty much on on most cylinders, not all cylinders. I'll say that there was a a, 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 a slight change in his artwork. I noticed, though, um, and it had something to do with the legs. But oh. uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is, but I noticed that on Namor more than any other book. Um, but it was mostly on splash pages and such. But I can uh -huh. actually go back f as far back as uh, some of his Superman stories dealing with Silver Banshee and say when he did splash pages on those, I noticed something just a little odd. But it was like there was something that was changing with his art style. Mm -hmm. um, his, his style was becoming a, a little bit... It was morphing away from, the, I think, the earlier, the 70s, 80s, I think the faces he was putting more definition and, and angularness to them. Uh, particularly if I look at some of the female faces, he's definitely not hardened them, but I mean made made their definitions a little bit more angular. So, um, well, the faces were definitely more distinctive <clears throat> in his later work. Yes, 
Yeah. As opposed to his earlier, you know, earlier ones, because you could see a lot of similarities in the late '70s and early '80s with a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, so I noticed that as well, and and one of the reasons why I really like this story is because I'm I am a huge Invaders fan. I love the book, and I'm one of the very few uh, who appreciated the art of Frank Springer on there, or I mean, I'm sorry, Frank Robbins. Um. Uh, I love that work, uh, and I think it was defi- uh, definitive to the uh, Invaders period, and it really kind of set that tone. So I really love the Invaders, and when this came out, it was like, and Warrior Woman and Master Man were kind of my favorite opponents to the Invaders team, and so when he came up bringing this, it was really great. And I, I really like the, the the art style. You said what you call it, two-tone, uh, two-tone state. The duo shade, it really set the tone because this story takes place right after the wall came down and it was about the re- also the reunification of Germany. So there was a lot of, of that underpinning uh, foundation to the story that opened up this really cool idea where uh, the uh, warrior woman and master man were cryogenically held in stasis after the war, but each each was in one part of Germany. One was in Eastern Germany, the other was in Western Germany, and then uh, the care that they got as they progressed on. So it was really, it's a really great story. I really like it. And it gave us a, a number of things that were really cool, like um, a new look at Union Jack and yes. um, Spitfire. In, Spitfire was brought back to us, and that was that was a, a, a thing that that kind of followed Burn around in a number, a couple of his books. Most notably, uh, Spitfire was one of those that was uh, in the Invaders back in the '40s, and here, you know, of course, she was a much older woman, and she got a blood transfusion from was it Human Torch? The Human Torch, and it um, revitalized her and turned her into a younger woman again, a teenager actually. Mm-hmm. All the way, yeah. And this also happened in She-Hulk's book with uh, another another oh, uh, character. The blonde bombshell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the, the sad thing about this is I think that Spitfire got very underutilized after this. Um, I don't know if he had any ideas for the character or if he was just doing something for a cool effect and then I think that he had plans because otherwise he probably wouldn't have done that in the She-Hulk I think it was a uh, you know after the the, they started bringing in Jay Lee and there was a lot of pressure on him for the book to to change so I think he just dropped the book dropped the subplot and then Mm -hmm. in She-Hulk he planned on doing something similar which is why we saw that Okay. I, I, at least that's my supposition. I could be wrong there, and I've never asked him about it, but that's what I thought. Yeah. But all in all, yeah, I mean, you, you had a really good uh, uh, storyline there, and it gave you a lot of Golden Age stuff, uh, some pretty cool things. The only thing that I'll say is is that try and make sure that you're getting a good printing of it, whether you're getting a trade paperback or a Kindle thing. The CBRs that are out there available for download, very poor colored, poorly colored, and the books themselves that were printed back then, because of the way the printing was done, the books are not aging well. Even if you're keeping them bagged and boarded, yeah, um, they're they're not as easily readable as they uh, you know were back then. So it's better to get some form of reprint. 
Yeah, I have the original comics here in front of me, and um, they're they're surviving okay. But yeah, the pages paper's getting brittle. Um, uh, if I could afford the trade paperback volume that contains them, I would buy that. But right now, I think it's volume one, and I think it's pretty pricey. So, uh, but I but it's it's one of my it's a, it's not my I, I didn't put these in any order. It just happens to be the one on the top of the list. So it's one of my favorite. One of my favorite return to read stories. I really like it. Cool, cool. Well, that's yeah. that's a good way to start off. Uh, yeah. What's I, your what's your top of what's your first on your list? First on my list, I'll, I'll tell you. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about all these, but um, <clears throat> it is by far one of the more recent things that he's actually done. The highways. Now, have you read this, The Highways? I haven't. I have not. The Highways is a, is just like some serious, hard science fiction. Uh, it's basically set in the the alternate Next Men universe. Uh, if you guys have read Next Men, there was a, an alternate timeline that got created at some point. And um, one of the characters, I want to say Mike Wallace... Uh, from Next Men, actually, and it's not exactly the same. It's like a, a, a later, different kind of version of him, even, uh, is your point of view character as he joins a group of, uh, to use the lack of better terms, space truckers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, traveling through the solar system and, uh, you know, of course, moving materials and whatnot. You can kind of think about um, the way the crew uh, was in the first movie Alien, you know, that, that you had basically some blue collar workers on a spaceship, you know, hauling materials, expecting to get paid and such. And, you know, Byrne was, of course, uh, very slavish to all the, the, the true science fact of everything, you know, how things work as far as gravity goes, because, you know, he says no one, no one has developed any kind of artificial gravity aside from just a centri- you know, centrifugal force spinner on mm-hmm. any, any spaceship so you know unless you've got that you're you're going to be functioning in zero gravity for the most part and so he adheres to that and of course he's got you know everything is dirty there's a very um mobius feel somewhat to the art much like what you saw in um stowaway to the stars maybe not as as refined as stowaway to the stars was but it, it definitely you can feel the mobius uh influence upon the story and the art and you've got kind of a, a, a mystery going on out there, and all you know it's like a, a very little what I would call alien influence. It's mostly dealing with you know other people, but a uh, very cool story, and uh, you know it's multiple issues. It didn't go very far. I I, I don't know if he uh, stopped you know doing it as just a uh, because the sales on it weren't that great, or just he just didn't have any more to to say after the initial uh, four-issue run. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really enjoyed it and uh, found it you know, a great way to sit down, you know, sit down and spend, uh, spend some time off. Uh, it's, it's, of course, burn art at its finest. You can tell that there was a passion for it. And I'll say something in regards to that. And I, I've made mention of this several times over the years, is that you know, it's like people say that – some people say that you know, his older work was better. And I, I've always taken issue with that because I can see – you know, there's work that he's done. Of course, a lot of his older work, you know, was done right in the sandbox, right in the sandbox of Marvel in, in things that he had just a huge amount of love and passion for. 
And so everything was dealt with with that kind of love and passion. So his art had a, you know, that was was crisp and 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 for, for lack of a better word, perfect. Now he, he'll he'll be the first person to say that it's not, and he'll point out what he calls are his flaws. But his you know early art in the in the sandbox, at you know at Marvel and even at DC had so much love and passion on it that there was not a whole lot to really um, criticize. I mean, you can criticize the draping of the clothes and whatnot, or the framing of you know the angles or what whatnot and perspectives. But there was not a whole lot that was really bad in his artwork. Mm-hmm. Now, when he started on Alpha Flight, that wasn't a, a, a labor of love or a labor of passion. He created <laughs> Alpha Flight, and he felt a, a, a necessity to go ahead and do it himself because you know anybody else that came and did it, you know, they're they're taking his children, but. You know what he got down to is he realized that he didn't create what he felt were truly fleshed out characters. He just created a team that was able to take on the X Men. And, and it was supposed was, to be a one off or something, wasn't it? Right, just right. Like, but yeah, because because he created and made them cool. They're the Boba Fett of, of the comic <laughs> book world. Yeah. <laughs> and as you as you sit there and you read the Alpha Flight series, you can see that there's a bit of uh, artistic shorthand. Uh, and I, I think that, and again, I, I could be wrong, and if I am, I'll admit it freely, that, you know, there was a lot less penciling as there was inking in that. You know, the, the pencils were very loose, if they were used at all, um, in that, because a lot of the lines always felt rather thick mm-hmm. on yeah. that. And, and, of course, you compare that to the Fantastic Four work, and the Fantastic Four work was a lot tighter. So, again, you know, it was just what he had a passion for. And that as he lost a passion for one thing or another, the artwork tended to not have that zing to it. So you see, like, when he first started Wonder Woman or he got into some books that necessarily weren't his favorite things to do, that that his artwork wasn't at its best because it didn't yeah. have the passion on it. But when I looked at at the highways and I saw this is him just drawing what he wants to draw, that he, the, the passion was there and it was just as crisp and good looking as anything he'd done previously. Yeah, I'm looking at a couple of the previews of the Comicsology version, and it is very nice. Yeah, uh, a lot of great burn tech there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't, um, I hadn't heard about it. It's most most of my books you're gonna stories you're gonna find are older, <laughs> and from Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but um, so some of his newer stuff, I just hadn't really expanded out that much. Uh, you know, life gets in the way and there's a lot of stuff. But uh, being able to go back and check these things out uh, via Comixology are great or even they have a printed collection of it as well. So, uh, yeah, well, and then the highways comes from IDW. He published yeah. it right through IDW. And I, I think that if he said that he wanted to do a book of. You know, James Earl Jones reading the phone book that they would say, "Okay, we'll print it." You know, <laughs> that 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 you know they're going to let John Byrne do what John Byrne wants to do. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, yeah. again, you know, this is you know there are little to no known characters in this aside from the the one character Mike from Next Men, but I mean it takes place a good sixty years after the storylines of Next Men complete. So you're not going to see any real crossovers in there uh, based on that. But, you know, be that as it may, you're going to see a good sci- hard science fiction story that uh, is rooted in in strong science. So because, uh, you know, there's no warp drive. There's 
you know, there is uh, hypersleep or, or, or suspended animation, so to speak, but it, you know, it, it, it tries to root as much as possible in the scientific, so it's not stretching your imagination too much. That's really cool. I'm, I'm gonna um, check it out. I like that. Excellent. Be interesting. Yeah. Excellent. So what and do you might got be able next? To, uh, well, uh, linking to the previous, the Namor, uh, is the Captain America story, The Return of Baron Blood, <laughs> from Captain America 253 and 254. And uh, again, the connection to the invaders, the fact that uh, while he had his short run on Captain America, he was still, he was connecting Captain America to other aspects of the things that were going on at Marvel at the time, and the Invaders had uh, had just been cancelled um, probably a year before this or something, but I just thought it was really neat that he brought back Baron Blood because, oh, I guess Baron Blood was also one of my favorite uh, antagonists to the Invaders, because I just love that whole storyline, and if, if I wanted to make it an alternate, I would say that early storyline from in, uh, that introduced Baron Blood in Invaders that brought us Spitfire and the revealed Union Jack and all that. So it was really, really cool story. But yeah, I like this because um, I, I I think he had a passion for I think he really looked forward to working on Captain America. And then again, things happened and he was off the book. But I really like this story because he really told a great way to bring Baron Blood back. And the he connected a lot of stuff. We had a very... Um, a very good send off to the original Union Jack when we lost when he passed away, and the the very dramatic final finale to Baron Blood was quite a a big thing for the comics at the time. I know it was very very impressive where he severed the and decapitated there, Baron there's, Blood. There's oh, a funny story about that too. Uh, we're just we're just spoiling the story for anyone who hasn't read it. I'm so sorry. It's 40 years old. I think that, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 one of those things where, yeah, there are some people out there that probably haven't read it, and they're probably going to go and read it. And I'll tell you that that one of the things that, that does make this great are the, the very solid inks of Joe Rubenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, of course, it's got one of the funny stories in there. Now, Joe Rubenstein, to me, is the Eddie Van Halen of inkers. Um, I, I I don't know why why it is, but I always have this. It, I always refer to his inking as the brown sound of comic books. Uh, but there was a a, a tale. I don't know if it's true or if it's apocryphal, but if you see that that infamous scene of Cap using his shield to take out Brother Blood, you'll notice that the shadow has motion lines. And the the famous story is uh, you know it's like Rubenstein is there in the in the bullpen and saying it's like. Wait a minute. How does a shadow have motion lines? And somebody else basically responds back to him, "How does anything have motion lines?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, it, but that's just that's just one of those. Stories. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a great story, of course, and um, you know, it introduces the new Union Jack, and I think it's the same guy that we see as Union Jack in the later Namor story. Um, a little bit more refined, I think, at least as far as the way he talks. Yeah, this, believe it. This is. guy is very uh, almost Cockney in in the way that he spoke. He definitely was a uh, you know from the other side of the tracks kind of guy, as opposed to Lord Fallsworth. Yeah, definitely. He uh, well, he was um, Jacqueline's uh, son's friend, and uh, if I remember correctly, but yeah, he was a little bit more of the the everyday man, the 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 not the uh, 
the richy the rich type so yeah uh, but yeah the story through and through was really good i like the the mystery element of it at the beginning we just open up it's a mystery story vampire mystery and generally you know vampire mysteries are kind of fun i love vampire stories uh but he did some really a really great like a about a third of a page recap of the of the invaders that encapsulated everything about them, uh, showing the team, showing their biggest villains. Man, it was just that was such a cool little scene there, uh, and it was I really enjoyed that. And then the 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 opening page of the next it's a two issue arc, and the opening page of the next issue is just really really good. So a lot of great work here. And uh, just it's just one of it's another one of my favorite stories. Yeah, and, and again, I, I know exactly what you're talking about there with those two things, and then of course the results of uh, Baron Blood's attempt, attempts on Captain America are just really interesting. Of course, what this gets me wondering is if, if Baron Blood and Michael Morbius are related in any way, because they have the same nose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't recall if that's ever been pursued. It probably. Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. And you know, it was a funny thing. Of course, this is forty years later, and there's no way that he uh, could have foreseen this. But as I sit there and I look at um, the the scene where you see uh, Lord Fallsworth putting on the Union Jack costume one last time, I almost see Martin Landau, you know, an older Martin Landau in the wheelchair there doing that. Uh, oh yeah, you've seen him in like the the movie Ed TV. You saw Martin Landau in a wheelchair. And, of course, it was 30 years after this, and so I'm like, no, no, it couldn't possibly be. But also the um, the other woman, you know, on the opposite page, she looks like uh, uh, Professor McGonagall or even an older Lucille Ball with gray hair, the one that's talking to Bernie Rosenthal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, again, you know, it's just like John Byrne used a lot of people as his models, um, you know, like he did with the Hellfire Club and others for characters that uh, he created. The um, the doctor that uh, turned out to be somebody else uh, makes me think of Richard Dysart from The Thing. Mm, or kind okay. of a, a, a cross between Richard Dysart and Wilford Brimley. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, that, that, that probably is on target there because that was right around that time as well. Yeah, yeah. And, Big influential movie, but that yeah, that's 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 a great one. Now that that of course is available in the the trade paperback Captain America: War and Remembrance, which mm-hmm. I think has been reprinted in hardcover and soft cover. It's available on Kindle and so many other ways. Um, you can find that out there. Uh, that's that's uh, that's a cool one. Of course, again, Joe Rubenstein, one of the, one of the better anchors and a, a real uh, uh, strong at maintaining the artistic. Uh, flavor of any artist, but it also able to put his own touch on it to make it recognizable as him. Yeah. So. Yeah, and just to uh, keep keep in that vein, at the end of that Warren Remembrance, which is probably uh, at the final, it's probably the final two pages of his last issue of his run on Cap. There's a great two page spread of Cap and his history. Throughout the whole, throughout his whole history up to that point, which included the invaders, Bucky finding out who he was. Yeah, that was uh, issue two fifty five, which yeah. Tim and I covered very, very early on on the show here. Yeah, and the, that that actually was one where they re, uh, they actually printed from the penciled pages, and um, though they're, 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 we don't have the full story on that, and I can't relate it all here. I'm I'm, yeah. not, I, I'm not allowed to just yet. 
one day I'll, I'll, I'll reveal something about that that you'll find really, really cool. Okay. But, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, re, re, you know, uh, recreated from the pencil pages without inks. Oh, okay. Well, so, it's a really cool little key, key, uh, recap of him all the way up until where he gets to the Avengers. And man, it's just, just really nice. Really yes. great work. And if you've got the trade paperback, uh, you'll notice in the back they've actually got um, other pages that were intended to take place after all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, with Cap still in England, getting ready to come back home, and he gets pulled into another uh, is- another uh, situation. But um, because of how the editor had treated Roger Stern and... Um, John left the book in solidarity with Roger because uh, when Roger quit, they offered John the book, but John wouldn't take it because of what they did to Roger. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, people always wonder why Byrne keeps leaving the books and there's always a reason. Um, and a lot of it usually has to be with, with someone not being treated properly or someone being lied to more specifically Byrne being lied to. (laughs) <laughs> and so it's like I can understand most in most cases his reasons for leaving any of the books that he's left. And that that goes back to the X-Men. Now, I don't want him to leave these books. I wish he would have stayed on. If he had stayed on the X-Men, who knows what we, what we would have gotten back then. If he had stayed on Captain America and took over the writing chores himself. You know, I, I think there are very few people that have as good a grasp on the character Steve Rogers as he did. Now... The only the only uh, representations of, of him that I saw that that made any you know sense since then, uh, and again I, it's not like I've been out there reading Captain America books, but I really like the the, the portrayal of Steve Rogers in the movies in the MCU, mm-hmm. um, and you know the way Chris Evans played him because he played him in the way that that Byrne and guys like that you know wrote and drew him if you read the west coast avengers uh, that you know he had cap in there and he's had him in other things of course in namor and whatnot but uh, his portrayal of cap has always been spot on yeah i th- I, th- I thought so too i thought he, i thought he was building a really good um, cast there and a really good uh, story uh, going along with that so i, I was really enjoying that i was disappointed i, I was kind of shocked when i looked at 256 i was like what <laughs> what's yeah, this it, it, it's it's not fair it's not fair to us and you know this is the, the 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 things that happen in the background at the comic book companies are always things that you know we're not privy to you know at least we weren't privy to back then we had no idea all the things that were going on and here you'd see them on one book and then gone another book and then gone another book then gone and you get frustrated, and I think that's one of those things that happened to a lot of people. And they're, of course, first, you know, the person to point the finger at was going to be Burn himself. Mm-hmm. And you know, only now, these years later, do we find out, you know, the things that happened, you know, because you know, like in in this case, Roger got basically screwed out of a bonus for you know continual work on a book because the way the way it was is like if you did so many books in a row. You got a bonus for for staying on it, staying with it. That way, they could keep the books coming out at time, all the time, without having to sit there and pull in, fill in stories or other people to come in and do, you know, a single issue or whatnot. And instead, the editors, not wanting to pay out these bonuses, would you know sit there and put in a fill in book or whatnot. And that's what happened here. They wanted to go ahead and put in a fill in book and prevent Roger from getting his bonus. 
And That's Roger it. just didn't like that, so he says, "Well, then I'm, you know, going to quit this book and go somewhere else and write somewhere else." And that's wow. what he did. And it, you know, it, it's not the editor in chief that's doing this; it's the actual editors on each of the individual books. And mm-hmm. you know, some guys there at Marvel were really, really good, and some guys were just not that nice. You know, so as the experiences happened. You know, you, you he would you know, like Byrne would deal with somebody that was straightforward that didn't you know tell you half truths or you know tell you one thing and then change the story later. You know, if he found someone that was straightforward and honest with him, he liked working with him. And you'd see Byrne working with a lot of particular different editors over the years. There's that he would stick with certain ones because they treated him fairly, treated him the way that he wanted to be treated. And then other ones he would get on one book and then gone, you know, pretty soon, pretty quick. Now, yeah. what happened on the Hulk, that was all Jim Shooter, though. And, uh, you know, just Jim Shooter telling him, yeah, that sounds great. You guys should switch books. And he switched books with Bill Mantlo. He took over the Hulk, and Mantlo took over Alpha Flight. And then, you know, five issues in, you know, Shooter says, you can't do all this, when he told him he could. And so Byrne just, you know, quit the book and yeah. went from there. Shortly after that, of course, Shooter left Marvel and... and you see things change a little bit, but uh, the more they change, the more they stay the same. Anyway, so that was, yeah. what was, what was that? That was, uh, that was my second choice. Captain America. Yeah. Captain America. Yeah. How so, about yours? Okay. My second choice um, is, and I was going to go back as well to um, that late eight, late seventies, early eighties. And I'm looking at the Avengers run 181 through 191. The whole run. The whole run. It was 10 issues. Okay. I mean, now I've, of course, got the, um, uh, right here, this very heavy uh, omnibus. <laughs> this is the Marvel Universe by John Byrne omnibus. And, of course, it's got, you know, it's got the champion stories. It's got the Avengers stories. It's got 164 through 166. And then it's got 181 through 191. And that's how I've been looking at these lately. And, of course, the reprint in here is just brilliant and gorgeous yeah and i mean if you want to include 164 through 166 go right ahead but just the 181 through 191 um you know that that was just uh, amazing because it of course introduced us to people like scott lang who you know was was ant-man and and you saw got to see some great anchors in there gene day Klaus Janssen, uh, back back at this point in time, when he was just inking every other book, and yet still giving us stuff that was gorgeous. And this also had so many storylines coming together, you know, with the Avengers and Henry Peter Guyrich. It also had uh, the the Wonder Gore story with Wanda and Pietro and uh, Django Maximoff. Uh, you saw the Absorbing Man. You saw Great Gargoyle. There were just so many things, and you saw a change in the characters, of course. They brought in the Falcon and got rid of so many other Avengers. You saw Simon Williams deciding to go ahead and become an actor. Pursue his acting career, yeah. yeah. That was interesting. <laughs> and so, I mean, this is Marvel in its heyday. It is John Byrne drawing some of the greatest characters all together, and it was this kind of stuff. When, when I first saw, like, the Avengers in 2012 on screen, it made me think back to these days and yeah. these stories, and I was just like, you know, this this is just awesome. I think, and I think most of all those stories were all written by Dave Michelini or Dave Michelini and um, uh, Mark Grunewald and Stephen Grant. That's right, because they were part of the whole uh, 
uh, Wondegore Mountain Mordred storyline. Yeah, and that that happens to be one of my favorite storylines that I was going to list, so I'll just poop that up in there <laughs> with yeah. that. And then they had that one single issue with Hawkeye fighting Stormbird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then the the introduction of Scott as Ant-Man, of course, you all already have covered as Marvel premiere uh, 47 and 48, which was drawn by Mr. Byrne. Yep, yep, and that's gorgeous. And I'll tell you another thing. Um, the cover of issue 187, that's the cover of the dark Scarlet Witch or evil Scarlet Witch, and it's the Witch of Wondergore Mountain. Yes. Um, that cover is actually available in a comic book, a, a coloring book. Oh, is it? Yeah, there's, there's a Marvel coloring book that is basically all covers of various issues. And they got a lot of George Perez, and they got a lot of uh, Alan Davis and stuff, which are gorgeous. But they've also got this one John Byrne uh, cover in there. It's the only one that's in there, and it's it's that one. So you can pull these out and color them yourself if you want to, or you can just you know buy it and support it. But uh, uh, just uh, gorgeous stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, these, these ten issues just it doesn't get any better than this uh you know i mean until avengers west coast when Byrne took over the the writing and penciling on that you know we didn't see stuff like this as crisp as it was i mean i mean george perez of course was also doing a lot of issues around uh what Byrne was doing and i you know it's like i love george perez's work as much oh uh, yeah near, near as much as john burns um but you have to give george certain anchors um uh, Pablo Marcos is a good anchor, Romeo Tankall, uh, you know, mm-hmm. back in that, in that day. But if you didn't give him the right anchor, you could lose a lot of definition on those characters. You should never let Al Milgram ink George Perez back then. <laughs> I don't know how he turned out later, but that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that whole run is a very good run. And like I said, the, the Yesterday Quest was one of my favorites because it really defined – Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, and it made a stronger connection to the Magneto yes. connection there, which was also really, really cool. And I love how they turned it around because up until then, it was always Bob and Wanda, uh, the Wizard and Miss America, who were considered to be their parents. And then, and they are their parents, they kind of raised them a little bit. And mm-hmm. so it's just was really neat how the, all of that was restructured. And I don't know how much of that was. Burn or the writer at the time, but it was probably a collaboration of the both, so it was really good. And the inks on that story, or I mean, the uh, the the follow through on that is just really great. I just really love the the way that they made it feel gloomy and dark with all the rain that was uh, at the time. And yeah, just just really really good stuff. And yeah, those uh, those images of Cathan are just really fantastic. Yeah, again, uh, and this is the, the, the time when Henry Peter Guyrich, of course, was most prevalent. And, uh, and the most hated and person the most hated. in the Marvel Universe by me and my friends. <laughs> and, and, I mean, Byrne is making big use of him right now and is also in Tales. Yes. So, uh, I mean, you could sit there and read those and then turn right around and read Elswin. And it's almost like, you know, just turning a page in a book, going from one to the other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was so cool. So cool indeed. Uh, and um, in honor of our of a favorite podcast that no longer is going, the Fantastic Cast, uh, are you going to be crushing any vagrants with your omnibus? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That, you know, that's the first I'm hearing of that. Um, uh, so are they done? 
Yeah, they they did some uh, reviewing of their their schedules and they were kind of just losing steam after doing it for over 10 years. And it's too bad because they were just about to get to the burn era of the Fantastic Four and they just kind of ran out of steam. So they're that that is what we call pod fading. Yeah. And that's that's really sad. And, and, you know, the thing is, like, if Tim and I were ever to decide, you know, that we're going to hang it up or whatever, I, I would have no problem turning it over. To, to someone like you and David or, you know, whoever you guys would, would find to work with or, you know, anybody that wanted to. There mm-hmm. are tons of people always saying, hey, I'd like to be on your show sometime. And, and, and I'd like to bring them in. Of course, it's always a matter of timing and the right subject. Yeah. But, you know, if, if we ever decided to hang it up completely, I live safely in the knowledge there's somebody else out there that would want to take over Third Degree Burn. Yeah, absolutely. They had done it for... 10 years, nearly every week, weekly podcast. So it was a lot. And they did a great job. They covered Fantastic Four number one through about 222, plus a lot of ancillary strange tales, uh, team-ups, two-in-ones, things like that. So they, they really did a lot of good work. So the I wonder pod- what it is that made them – I mean, you know, it's just right getting to the burn era. I mean – are they out on burn or what? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, they were. They've always been looking forward to it. So, it's just one of those things. And they may take a break and come back. I'm not sure, but their this episodes. Is, this is Andrew Leyland and the other fellow from Britain, right? And Steve Lacey, yes. And Steve Lacey, okay. Yeah, yeah, and their episodes are still up. Someone can you can still go and listen to them all. And they're and, pretty short, aren't they? They're like 20 minutes or less. Oh no, <laughs> no, they they go for about an hour or so. Hmm. Okay, I just yeah. thought I, I thought those were the ones that were really really short. Hmm. The, their strange tale ones may have been very short because they just did the the strange tale portion of that included the Fantastic Four part, not the whole book. So, but yeah, it's good stuff. Go ahead and listen. The people can go ahead and listen to them while you're needing things to listen to. In addition to Third Degree Burn, it's a, it's a really good podcast. Cool. Okay, but, so I think that okay. covers Avengers eighty one through one ninety one eighty one through one ninety one. What yeah. uh, what do you have next? I'm going to keep in line with the forties era, and I'm going to go Batman, Captain America. Wow. Wow, and, and yeah. you know that's I mean it's it's just that I think is like if if. There was a burn renaissance, you know, just that, that, that his own renaissance that started it because, you know, he had done some other, you know, other stories there at, um, at DC. I think he was done, had done like the power of the atom and, and some other stuff. And of course he, he wrapped up his wonder woman run, hadn't he mm-hmm. at this point? And I believe so. Or it was just about to be finished up. And then he dug into this and it was like all of a sudden his art was rejuvenated. It really is. The the color, the the details, and not only just the art, but all of the research that either it was already in his head or he did because he just pulled so much out of the he was able to represent both characters perfectly. I mean yeah. he truly captured them and it wasn't, uh, including it, it wasn't modern day Batman. It was that that nineteen forties, nineteen fifties uh, golden Age, always with a smile on his face. Well, it's not that's not Golden Age. That's really more Silver Age, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's more Silver Age. 
But the, the, the period is, I think, kind of during the war because the Red Skull is still is, is one of the yeah. main villains. It's Joker and the Red Skull. So it's still in that era, that uh, that war era, I believe. And, uh, yeah, he, he does capture them really, really well. And Bucky and Robin, of course, are part of it, so that's really cool that he kept them in there. And, uh, yeah, there's <laughs> there's a great page a couple of pages in that shows them back to back fighting uh, uh, um, thugs and yeah they're they're, they're smiling <laughs> they're like yeah. hey we're having well, fun <laughs> what i really love is that page where they're fighting each other the, you know, steve rogers and bruce wayne start fighting each oh. other and then what then they realize yeah they they realize who each other <laughs> is and there was even yeah that uh, was that was I'm trying to remember though. Is it here or is it the JS, JLA Avengers where Batman says, "Yeah, he's going to beat me after a while"? And that might have been JLA Avengers. That I might was, have been JLA Avengers. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, but still, I mean, it's really good. They both realize who each other is, and they just stop. Why are we fighting? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, that was really a great, uh, a great page and a great. I just love the the character interaction that he did with this. This is also really good. He, he, I think he really just knocked this one out of the park. It was really a fantastic story. The the selection of the villain was great. It took two of their most prominent villains at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's not like so. This came out in '96, so I don't know if Bane was out by then. But you know, I'm glad they didn't do a modern version yeah. of this and brought in that. I mean, this just really went back classic. I think the only thing that might have even just a slightly bit better would be some some appearance or some interaction with Catwoman because I love the Selena Kyle Catwoman of this age. Hmm. Yeah, long purple dress, green cape. Mm-hmm. That version. What yeah, I love that. But, like to draw. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great story. Uh, oh, oh, the page that shows the Batcave is phenomenal. Oh yeah, I mean. Just the detail, and I think he pulled that from memory from when he did the Untold Legend of the Batman. Which is also a great, great three-part series. Too bad that they didn't get with him in order for him to finish the, that little mini-series. But, man, that first that, that first issue of that series is amazing. Yeah, yes. yeah I mean, because you know, Byrne doing the pencils and Jim Aparo doing the inks on it just gave it that perfect, I mean, it was just so beautiful. It was uh, my favorite. My favorite moment in that, of course, is when Batman pulls off the cowl to Joe Chill. Yeah, because yeah. it's just that perfect. It's like a combination. It's almost like John Byrne, Neil Adams, Jerry Bingham, and Jim Aparo all just had their hands on that page. You can mm-hmm. just see all that that fire and rage and power and passion and oh gosh, I, you know, it's like I'm a kid again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this this Batcave is great because it's got the giant penny, it's got the big Joker card, the dinosaur <laughs> statue. So it's it's all the classic stuff that we remember from that from that era. Fantastic, and the, very good story. The ending of that story, of course, just inspired something else completely. If you didn't know, or did you know? No, what was that? Okay, I'm not so sure. at the very end, they they mirrored the uh, Captain America being found in the ice by the Avengers, but instead it was. Uh, uh, Batman, this time the younger, uh, I think it was Dick Grayson as Batman and um, Bruce Wayne Jr. as Robin, yeah. blonde-haired Robin. Mm-hmm. And just that little scene right there, 
inspired, you know, they, they, they're finding Cap in the ice instead of the Avengers. Yep, yep. But uh, that scene alone inspired them, inspired Byrne to do Superman Batman Generations. Okay. I didn't know that that was the inspiration, but, but um, yeah, that, that definitely is a, a Generations trope, or a, I, I could see that. That's cool. Now, uh, the, the Batman Captain America story, of course, is available uh, in prestige format. And uh, it's it's pretty easy to find. I found it, you know, seen it in, in a couple bins here and there, which is, it's like I'm I'm surprised because I thought it was such a, a just an amazing book. But you can also find it online and in Kindle format uh, off of Amazon, I do believe. Yeah, but, yeah, it's uh, a great story. I like it. Yeah, and and I mean, it's just that perfect perfect thing. And it's a nice big, you know, full length thing. I mean, you could almost see this as a movie. Like like a, a Batman animated movie, which I don't know understand why they haven't made this or the many deaths of the Batman into Batman animated movies when they've made so many of the other storylines. You know they just mm-hmm. kind of skipped over these. <clears throat> it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, and it, there's so much op- there's so much material out there, uh, that we're missing out on that could just be brought over. So yeah, that's that's one of my favorites. Okay, so um, you got anything else you want to say about that one? No, let's let's move on to your next one. Okay, my next one is one that we've talked about on this show before, and I've actually got a trade of this, and that's uh, Star Trek Romulans: Pawns of War, put up by IDW. And what this is, if uh, I don't, do you, have you read much of this, of his Star Trek work? I have not. Um, are you are you a fan of Star Trek at all? I do like Star Trek. Well, now he um, John Burns always had what what I call uh, what he calls OCD when it comes to Star Trek the original series. That is his Star Trek. That's everything that he loves about science fiction and and whatnot. And he, as we were talking earlier about the highways, you know his his highway story has, owes as much to Star Trek as anything else. Um, in, in his inspirations, and you'll find little uh, Easter eggs throughout his work in the highways pointing towards uh, Star Trek. But if you loved the original series uh, as much, you know, as much as I do, or many Trek fans do, this is a, a, a must-have. Uh, the now he had originally done his first story for that in a uh, Alien Spotlight. And he really enjoyed doing it because the, the, the thing you've got to understand about John Byrne, one of the things that he doesn't like doing is uh, character likenesses. And that is like when you're trying to do Star Trek, the original series, you don't want to have to keep drawing Kirk and Spock and McCoy and all that based off of photo referencing. Yeah. Because it, 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 it can get old. And if you don't do that and you try to go in your own way, you have to deal with um, Paramount, who might say, no, this isn't right, and they want you to redo it. Uh, so he's never been a big fan of, of doing on, you know, it's licensed property. But with or worse, the- or worse, you have to deal with fan kickback. Yes. Because <laughs> some of those people are pretty harsh. Yes. But what he did here was he basically did a story around Balance of Terror which is one of the early uh, original series episodes uh, that uh, have Mark Leonard, the great Mark Leonard, as the Romulan commander. And um, this story actually starts off before Balance of Terror, 
And if you get the trade paperback, it actually has Balance of Terror recreated from the Romulan perspective only. Ooh, interesting. And but I mean, you, you're seeing scenes that are actually in the uh, the episode, and uh, you even get a shot of Captain Kirk there at the end as he shows up on the Romulan view screen with the uh, you know the, where where the Romulan commander says. Uh, you know, in another life, I might have considered you friend. Or different reality, I could have called you friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the the rest of the of the whole story is the aftermath of that, and where you find out that the Klingons had a hand in it, and that the Romulan uh, Emperor or, uh, yeah, is just a complete and total nut job. <laughs> um, and there's just a whole lot of intrigue and stuff. Think. Game of Thrones type uh, intrigue okay. and whatnot, okay. and again, this is Byrne has such a passion and love for Star Trek, the original series, that his artwork in this. When I first read it, I thought, "What did he do this in the '80s?" But no, he did this in 2010. Yeah, wow. And it is just gorgeous, gorgeous work, and of course, the starship work is beautiful. Uh, the printing, of course, of these trade paperbacks is, is nice, glossy paper, and it, it just lends perfectly to the style and the coloring that's done on this. Um, so, it, you know, basically any of his Star Trek work that he did, whether it was Dr. McCoy, Frontier Doctor, Pawns of War, and then uh, Crew, which is the story of uh, number one. And then, of course, after that, he started the Fumetti books. And that allowed him to not have to draw Kirk and Spock and McCoy and yet do original series stories. So uh, he, he found he found his way to be able to do them without having to draw them. And mm-hmm. as he says, okay. fall short. But uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> Romulan's Pawns of War, it, again, it's in trade paperback form. It's also in Kindle form. You should be able to find that no trouble uh, anywhere. It's at your regular bookstore, but it's also online. You can get it sent to you, or you can read it uh, digitally. Yeah, just uh, I was just on looking for it on um, Kindle, and I didn't see a link to it, so I ordered a hard copy. So I guess I'll just get a hard copy of it now. There's also a uh, a hardbound book called Star, uh, Star Trek: The John Byrne Collection, which is a beautiful book, and it's got the Starfield and uh, a Federation symbol, but in the shape of the Federation symbol are all the original series starships in silhouette. Mm. And it's got the uh, virtually all the stories that he's done, the, the Dr. McCoy Frontier Doctor, all the Romulan stuff, plus the Assignment Earth series that he did that was based off of uh, the one episode with Gary Seven and uh, had Terry Gar and there was Roberta Lincoln. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they did a four-issue series on that, which is uh, really good. Then, of course, the Romulan, uh, the continuation of the Romulan story crew, which, uh, again, had number one in it, and they never reveal her name. And, um, yeah, then they do Dr. McCoy, Frontier Doctor, and all that's included in this one hardback, which is a really, really uh, good buy. Wow, excellent. I'll check that out, too. Yeah, I, I like the original series. Actually, I just like Star Trek. I'm enjoying a lot of it. I'm enjoying Picard. No spoilers, but Picard is really, really good. Oh, yeah. And, so I'm, I'm so you seeing into that. It? Yeah, yeah, I'm watching them as they come out. I got CBS All Access, so. Yeah. Yeah. So next week is the finale. Looking forward to how that turns out. 
My wife's so, liking it so much that we're now going back and watching Next Generation episodes. I'm kind of having to build a roadmap for her of episodes to watch and making sure that we avoid certain episodes too. I, I remember you were. I remember hearing you talking about that on your last episode. So, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good ones. Hopefully, you've watched Law. Yeah, we did. We watched The Offspring. The Offspring, yeah, that that was a that's one of my my top favorites of the series is that one. I was a little disappointed that they couldn't bring back Brian Brophy for Picard. Uh, he was the guy that played Bruce Maddox in the original. Oh, okay, yeah. But I mean, again, what they did, they did. They, they did, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a really good series. So looking, I don't want to have to wait until next year to get season two. But okay. <laughs> crazy stuff, crazy stuff. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that's that, good. That's Star Trek Romulans Ponds of War. Find it, read well, it. A lot of fun. It's on its way to me, so I, I hope. I mean, I hope it'll show up here in a couple of days or a week or so, and then I'll I'll check it out. You know, I, bet great. You, I bet you we could buy all these through David Thompson. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, again, again, we'd have to check with him. I wish he could have gone on here today with us. That would have been fun. So what do you got next? Well, so my next one was going to be Yesterday Quest, but uh, we covered that. And uh, so I'm going to go with Marvel Team Up, The Living Monolith Story oh, from wow. 69 and 70. Uh, Spider-Man Team Up, uh, which is with, you know, I, it kind of tossed it back and forth with another one that will be in my honorable mention. But I, I'm just going to mention this one instead. So, of course, it's so these are my favorites because. Back then, I was just totally into X-Men. I love that team. So the first issue of the... It's a two-parter team-up again. It is Spider-Man and Havoc. Mm-hmm. And then the next issue is Spider-Man and Thor. But it continues with Havoc in there. So, um, yeah, the Living Monolith series... and uh, Or the Living Monolith and the Havoc storyline, all the way back to the original X-Men, was just a really cool storyline. And I really like how... Uh, Chris and John continued a little bit more about how the living monolith and havoc are connected. Yeah. And so, uh, and of course the artwork phenomenal, (laughs) you know, the one thing I noticed when I was, I I reread these just a a few months ago, I got that, that Marvel team up, uh, trade. Yeah. Uh, that's got all, all, all of those. And, John's layouts for these were very Neil Adamsy because I think he was trying to channel that, uh, Neil Adams, Tom Palmer, X Men uh, style since he was bringing the Living Monolith because isn't that where Living Monolith first appeared? Yes, it was during yeah, that that's early X Men run. It was during that. Um, I can't remember exactly the issues, but like '50s, '60s. Yeah, numbers. You know, '50s and '60s. I think it was early '50s or mid '50s. And yeah, that's where we got Havoc, and it, it definitely is that Neil Adams layout style. Yeah. It, <laughs> To the point where, like the f- the finale splash page of sixty nine is just it's with the living monolith uh, holding Spider Man in his hand, and yeah, that was so Neil Adams. Yeah. And I also love the way that Byrne imitated the Neil Adams way that Havoc used his power with those yeah. concentric circles and uh, not a lot of color in there. It's just blast white and yellow. It's so really really cool stuff. Yeah, and and. I almost get a feeling because, you know, um, Ricardo Villamonte did the inks on this one. And I, I'm not necessarily the greatest fan of his inks, even when he was doing, you know, Star Trek. 
But I almost get the feeling that Dave Cockrum came in and did some of the faces, most notably Havoc. Because, um, like, I look on uh, like page eight, uh, 22, I think it is. They got the scene where they show Havoc by the face, and then as he's blasting towards uh, the, uh, what you want to call the living pharaoh, as he was called at that point. And you can see very Dave Cockrum-y type lines on the face. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah. I don't get that. I don't get why they would, they, they still think at this point that he needs to be redrawn. But uh, it looks like a lot of faces got redrawn in this. Yeah. As, as I go through the issue. And again, that, that could simply be Villamont, Ricardo Villamonte doing that. But I, I think that, that Dave Cockrum or someone else came in behind it and did a little touch up. I could be wrong, though. I have been before. But <laughs> that, that being said, when you go to issue 70 and you got Tony DeZuniga doing the inks, it is just gorgeous. It, it, it just pales the, the other issue. You're right, it does. And it really allows Burn style to come through a little bit more clearer, I think, than before. And, but, yeah, a very good pair here, uh, yeah. those two. I wish, yeah. they, I wish they had done more together because, I, I mean, Desuniga did something that, that created almost like a, an austere look about the, the characters. You really got the great concept of the size of the living monolith and also the power <clears throat> of Thor and his hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you needed the Kirby crackle, oh, he brought it. <laughs> I mean, he really yeah. brought it. Just beautiful work in there, and just you know, there's there's nothing in the issue that that you could conceivably complain about, and you can see the face is definitely not touched up by anyone else when you're looking at Havoc or or anybody else. Yeah, yeah, it's very good stuff. It also his work on this also kind of reminds me of Gene Cologne, mm-hmm. which which I always love uh, Cologne's work for certain types of stories and it fits really well in this and so i cross hatching and yeah kind of giving it that mysterious look to it and yeah this is just really cool i, I yeah so this is one of my this is a, again one of my favorite stories uh, i kind of like to just go to i wish it was maybe a little bit longer would have been cool to drag but i understand at the time a two-parter was really <laughs> uh, a big deal back then yeah, now this, this of course, uh, like I said, is available in that Marvel team-up trade paperback, uh, you know, that, that does a, a good number of the Chris Claremont, John Byrne uh, Marvel team-ups. It doesn't have all yeah. of them. I don't think it's got the Red Sun. It definitely doesn't have the Adam Warlock one, but I think that was written by somebody else. Yeah, it's pretty much the um, 59 through 75. So you get the whole Iron Fist story with the the... Davos, the Thunder yes. and all that. Yeah, and the, the Daughters of the Dragon. The Daughters of the Dragon, yeah. And um, you, you, his uh, Luke Cage story and a couple others. The Wasp yes. and uh, Yellow Jacket. Yeah. So basically it's 59 through 70 and then, the, and then issue 75, which is Spider-Man and Power Man. Yeah, and then, I mean, all of those, of course, are, are, you know, just in that wonderful heyday, the late 70s, early 80s, that we love so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you could really do worse and, and get that. But I, I kind of get the feeling, though, that, that our listeners, for the most part, have read all these. Probably have. And, and, and you know, it's like, I, I, I want to try to, you know, push them in another direction. Do you have anything more you want to say on this, though? No, go ahead. 
Okay, so moving on to to my next one, and it it, it shares a little in common with the uh, the highways earlier because it was published by IDW, and that is Cold War, the Damocles contact, contract, which is uh, a, a a spy story that uh, Byrne did uh, in creating this character Michael Swan, who's a uh, uh, he's basically a James Bond type. Uh, MI6 operative that uh, quit the service and then is taking jobs as they come. So, so MI6 might offer him one job or another to do, but he is not bound by the the rules that the the, the actual secret agents have to follow. Mm, that so sounds it's, it's it's a, a really good story, and and the character Michael Swan is is very James Bondian. You know, he's a definitely a, a ladies' man, uh, definitely. Uh, you know, shoot first and ask questions later kind of guy. But uh, he's also very, very smart. Uh, This could have easily been a James Bond story. And the the, the thrust of the story, of course, is that you've got uh, an American that uh, is considering defecting, he and his daughter uh, defecting to go work on nuclear missiles for the Russians. And so, uh, not an American, I'm sorry, British British guy, because this is all in England. And so um, it's all during that Cold War period. Uh, you get to see like the, the DDR, the checkpoints going to East Germany and whatnot. Um, you get you get a little bit of, uh, of, of, of World War Two all the way to uh, like 1980s uh, movement in the storyline. But uh, it's a really enjoyable uh, touch on that that Cold War period. And I, I wish that he had done more with this also, because it was very interesting, very enjoyable. The art, of course, being that it's you know a spy story, is a little bit more mundane. Think kind of like Brian Michael Bendis's Fire, if you've ever read that, which is also another spy story. That uh, you're not getting superhero stuff; it's everybody in you know more mundane type clothing. But there's a lot of action, a lot of intrigue, um, a lot of uh, that kind of '60s sex. Hmm. Uh, that goes on you know, in, like in a James Bond story or whatnot. Uh, quite enjoyable. Uh, a good read. Again, this one's available in Kindle format, um, and that's that's how I read it. Uh, but uh, again, it's a good story. Introduces a, a, a certain type of character. If you like the James Bond stuff, you're going to enjoy this. I feel. I love James Bond. So in Kindle it says this is volume one. Did a volume two ever come out, or I, did I don't recall? I mean, I never saw it myself. I think mm. he had done some teaser work that looked like it was taking place in the seventies. Uh, definitely had some very seventies hair, so I think <laughs> that was supposed to come out. But I don't, I don't know that that it uh, actually did. If it did, I'm gonna go ahead and track that down. So because that's something I'll want to read. Yeah, awesome. And so he, of course, did virtually everything on there. He did the the story and art and even the lettering uh, on that. And he did it as, as he did also for the highways. But uh, the coloring, of course, is handled by someone else altogether. Uh, but you know, that's to be expected. He actually, as I understand it, has a, a level of color blindness towards certain colors. So you're not going to see Byrne himself uh, coloring any of his books. Interesting. Unless they're, unless they're black and white. You know, these were actually colored by Rhonda Pattinson. Pattison, excuse me. Oh, and Neil Neil Uyataki did the the lettering on these, which is really odd because Burns he's got somebody's letters that he's pulled into his own little library of lettering, so he could uh-huh. do lettering if he wanted to. But he I guess it's just a matter of, of of taking the time and doing it. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, it's in my Kindle now. All right. Cool. <laughs> yeah. If you hate it, you know, tell me. Let me know. <laughs> Well, I, I really like James Bond, and I really, because I grew up on all the films from the 60s and 70s, and I just love that that whole style of spy and espionage and, and the villain with all of their great layers and their their cool names for their... Yeah, for their for their cohorts and their thugs. And it's funny. Stuff. Just we just bought a brand new TV, a nice seventy five inch high definition TV and everything, Samsung. And I was messing around with it earlier because I hadn't had a chance to to check out all the features and everything. And it's got if connected to the internet, it's got a series of channels and whatnot that uh, aren't you know that you don't necessarily see in in like Direct TV or even on uh, your regular apps for your other. Uh, uh, apps and services and one of them i came across was pluto tv and they're running a marathon of james bond movies right now man with golden gun just finished up mm, wow and so they're they're running through the roger moore ones right now that sounds fun mm-hmm. sounds fun all right all right so what do you got next well i am going to um deviate a little bit and probably go into a little where someone's probably going to guffaw but um i'm going to say trio from IDW. Really? Yeah. I've Just got be- it right here. You probably saw it in that picture I posted last night. <laughs> and I haven't read it. Well, no, no, actually, I, I got to say I did read it. I bought it when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, back in the early, uh, in the late, 2000, uh, late 2000s, early teens. I wasn't really buying a lot of books and things on a regular basis, so I wasn't being very adventurous about stuff. Uh, just because I didn't have a lot of time. Work was really a lot of stuff, and I had a lot of activity. So I was kind of just keeping to some few things, but this was a burn book, so I thought I'd give it a shot. So I did. I bought um, all four issues. <laughs> came out, and was and uh, I liked it. There were some things that I thought, ah, this, he's just trying to be fan- Fantastic Four. But then when I think about it, I'm like, great, he's trying to recreate the Fantastic Four style of things. So... Um, I just enjoyed it because it was a world building. It was uh, a neat way of him bringing back the the family style of of a team and that interaction with each other. And sure, people could say, "Oh, it's just the thing. It's the fantastic the Mr. Fantastic. It's all of that." I, I don't care. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a delightful uh, story or a delightful series. You know, th- this is one of those things where I I keep getting it mixed up, uh, Trio and Twenty One Twelve, and I know they're two different things altogether. And I'm gonna have to go and take another look at Twenty One Twelve. But I, I remember reading this, and of course I- I've got the trade paperback of this. And um, the thing I found interesting about it was like the the coloring of uh, the what, what's the rock character called. Because it's, uh, it's it rock, almost, I think. Yeah, it almost... Rock, paper, scissors. Oh, that's right. Rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. It almost gives him a 3D effect in the way that he is inked and colored. And it, it so stands out off the page. It's really interesting to see that. That being said, I did have one problem with this with this book. And it came when you start seeing the the i don't know if they call them kaiju in here but you start seeing the giant monsters now do you play much video games i do not 
uh, there was there was one video game that came out in the PlayStation Two and PlayStation Three called Incredible Hulk Ultimate Destruction, and I think that's what it was called. And one of the things that you got to do in there is just go to New York City and just destroy everything. You could rip cars in half and turn them into gloves, like he did in the in the the movie back in was it two thousand nine. Uh huh. Um, but the one thing they always found interesting was how the city just seemed to. Once you left the city, there was nothing else around. You you just water, you know, going on for for days. And that's I mean I, mean, I understand that as you go east from Manhattan, that that's what you're going to see somewhat. But this looked the same way. It looked almost like a, the video game with borders and such. Mm-hmm. So you know, beyond the monsters, you didn't see anything but water going off into the distance. But it didn't. It didn't look right. And yeah, just, the, but beyond that it is gorgeous. And but it, it and the, the the its predecessor. Uh, what was that? Uh, Triple Helix. No, um, I'm going to go back even further. Danger Unlimited. Oh, okay. You know that came out. That was a, a Dark Horse book on the on the Legends imprint, the Phoenix Agenda, and it's one of those notorious John Byrne stories where, you know, he did four issues of it, and he was doing that in uh, the early '90s during his Duo Shade period, uh, which is also he's created a Fantastic Four type family, and you know, given them this in- incredible story, and it's all interesting, but. It lacks something, and in and, and Trio and Twenty One Twelve, and well, I, I, again, I don't know about Twenty One Twelve. They seem to lack something, and, and what it is is it's not in the sandbox, and because of that, it just feels like a smaller world. You know what I mean? I do. I did, and I did feel that even reading there, and and I felt that with Futurians by Dave Cockrum as well. Is that it felt like like we were in this bubble that hadn't gone beyond anything else yet because it's again it's the world building it's trying to establish something from nothing <laughs> right and uh, and yeah it did feel a little isolated and like it was missing a little something we didn't have that greater universe to interact with like we do with marvel where you just have a panel that shows the silver surfer flying around or the avengers in their their room discussing you know what's going on while the other team is battling something on CNN. <laughs> so, now, uh, yeah, if he I, could I did take feel all that. of these. If he could take Danger Unlimited, Twenty One Twelve, Trio, Next Men, you know, all those things that he's created and just combine them into one world, you know, it, 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 you you could almost create a sandbox. But again, it's yeah. whether or not he's got the passion to continue with that, where mm-hmm. he seems to have more of a of, of a passion towards. Those sandbox characters that we're seeing right now in Elsewhere. Yeah, that's that's a good thing, is or that's a good idea, is if if all of those are able to be brought together into a bigger sandbox, and he can interact with them, and he's created a world, which is kind of cool, and they don't have to necessarily always interact with each other, or uh, but they're there uh, in their own place. As you as you know, you know, of course, he started off um, Next Man at Dark Horse, but he completed the story when he was at IDW. So there's already precedent there for, you know, those those properties to work because they are creator-owned properties. So he mm-hmm. should be able to take them anywhere. Heck, they can yeah. get bought out by DC or Marvel. Just imagine Next Men, you know, showing up in a future Marvel universe or you know whatever. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So that's you know that's just throwing in a, a different little a different little take a little little something from more modern on there. 
and, and avoiding some of the more obvious stuff. But yeah. So what's up next with you? I think that's my five. That's your five. My last one is just an obvious no-brainer still. Superman, Batman, Generations. Uh-huh. And I'm pointing, of course, towards the very first book. And that's... Um, uh, let's see. But I mean, really, any of the series, one, two, or three, are um, just great as a good lazy day sit down and read through something. Um, it, of course, has four books in it. And each takes place in a different decade, starting with 1939, um, you know, 1939 to 1949. And then each, each book you know, jumps ahead 10 years, 59 to 69, 79 to 89, 99 to 1929, if you can believe that. But, um, yeah, yeah, that was fun. This, uh, I mean, just, you know, of course, inspired by the work he did on, on the, the Batman Captain America prestige format he did this uh, they were also released originally as prestige format books the first two uh, generation series came out as four books but uh, they've uh, uh, the generations and generations two have been collected into trade paperbacks um, and are just wonderful to sit down and read and you can read them you know standalone or if you wanted to you could take generations one and generations two and read one chapter from Generations 1, chapter 1 of Generations 2, because the years... Because Generations 2 takes the next set of decade, or it yeah, does it in between. It's got that, that kind of 11-year <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. So, so you can actually read them. There, you know, There's a, an order you can read them in to make it a, a, a single coherent story. Now, Generations 3, it doesn't do that because it jumps hundreds of years over the course of the storyline and it it, it it was something that was mandated by dc uh to do it a little differently and so it doesn't mm-hmm. have that, that same thing and of course that came out as 12 issues in regular comic book format is yet to be collected in any you know form of trade or anything but you can find the individual issues in digital format out on comiXology and other sites um it's just not available you know in, in a trade paperback but Generations yeah. One, of course, is available in in trade, and I I think that that uh, all three need to put together in some form of absolute edition to to give us all of it and anything that that you know John has done in in regards to the buildup because there are some beautiful posters that uh, John did in in just pre development. Uh, I think Nathan Greno, the uh, movie director, who's also an incredibly huge John Byrne fan. Uh, has has the he owns the original artwork of the poster that Byrne did, and, and he did it actually before the first book was even completed. So it it it, it looks a little different than 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 what you see, but still um, pretty cool. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite ones too. I really love the uh, going back, and then he can again just like with. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the Batman and Captain America fall in there somewhere uh, in that world. But he was able to capture the the characterizations of the of them in each era, and even as he created the new characters that came along with it, that was also great. And and the thing is, is that you have to, you know, it's like it, some readers might get a little confused because the first book shows Superman as he appeared in 1938 with the real small symbol on the chest and whatnot and the squinty eyes and 
and whatnot. And then, you know, as you see them in each generation later, the artwork appears more like the artwork did for that generation. You know, the later Wayne Boring, barrel-chested look Superman, and then the more uh, refined Kurt Swan look of the um, the 60s and 70s. And then, of course, you know, the more modern-day uh, stuff that Byrne did uh, when he gets into the 80s and, and, you know, moving to the future. But, you know, each time, you know, it's like he, he, he showed... For each of those eras, how everything you know worked back then, like you know there was those zany Bob Haney days where they had all the different kryptonites <laughs> and and whatnot, yeah. and you could see Superman being affected with like the giant head or just as a giant man, you know, um, you just a lot of fun. And Batman, of course, also in the same frame, you see Batman with the short ears and the smile on his face, and then later, of course, in the the long year Dark Knight. You know Neil Adams, Jim Aparo kind of look, and you know just Byrne paying so much uh, homage and love to each one of those eras, and showing it at its best. And once again, another labor of love, true passion for the the work itself. Uh, there's not a misstep in the art anywhere. No, there's not. And the story itself, I mean, he created some great emotional moments, as well as some joyful ones. And again, the the kickback to those who had been following the character in different stages and different eras really captured a lot of great stuff. It's very good storytelling. I agree yeah. with you. And great story. Well, I think, I think that pretty much covers it all. Um, now, you know, we, we, we both done our top five. I think we've got some honorable mentions though. Uh, now I'd already mentioned, uh, danger unlimited, the Phoenix agenda when we were talking about the, uh, trio. But uh, this is available, of course, in, in trade paperback, and I'm sure you can find it out there on, on any of the digital formats. And it is so beautiful, the, the printing of this. And, of course, like I said, it's all duo shade. And as you read this one, this one came out before Next Men, before all that other stuff. And you'll see the, 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 the fingerprint here that transfers over to the later books that he did where he took ideas from there and here. And you, he, of course he took ideas from Marvel there and put them in here. You see a lot of thing references, Modoc references. Um, it, Cause it is a, another kind of fantastic four type story. At one time, I think this was going to be released as, uh, as a book called freaks uh, when he was going to try and think and get it published at DC. But ultimately it went to uh, dark horse under the, the, the creator owned uh, label. Legend. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, I, I do recall seeing this out, but I never picked it up. So I think I'll go find that as well. Yeah, it, it was one of the. It was the first book to really suffer that direct market syndrome of yeah. of you know like the the first book's going to sell really well, but you're only going to sell half as much as the second one, and then you're going to get diminishing returns. And so by the time you get to the fourth book, the sales are so bad that you don't you're you're not going to continue on. And because he wasn't aware how that was working, you know, it's like they, they said, well, we're just going to stop it, you know. And mm -hmm. so the series didn't continue on. And, you know, had he known going into it how that direct market worked, he might have done things a little differently. And there's even a forward in the story that talks about that and talks about their reaction, his reaction, and, you know, what we could have done better. But, you know, as a result, you know, we only get like a four-issue story, but it gives you a lot of things. And there's also the Torch of Liberty uh, backup story that was done on the books. If you bought the comic books, you got that. Now, they were removed here from this, so you don't see them, but you see mention of them in the, color reprodu the cover reproductions and whatnot. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, great. Yep. Do you have any other honorable mentions? Uh, well, just the uh, Daughters of the Dragon that we mentioned in Marvel Team-Up, and then the Sensational Seahawk graphic novel, I think, was great. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, and Tim and I, of course, covered that with Dave Elliott uh, several years back yeah. on a very early episode of Third Degree Burn. Uh, that's definitely a, a must-read if you're a She-Hulk fan, if you're a John Byrne fan, if you're a S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, uh, if you love the Helicarrier, mm-hmm. that right there is in your wheelhouse because that is just a fun story. Now, if you don't like cockroaches... Yeah, I would uh, avoid that. <laughs> yeah, you might, you might, you might avoid that. That has one of the grossest scenes <laughs> ever. And uh, you, I, I would also recommend um, that uh, you look on the web for the uh, extra art. Because they, they, uh, he did have to change like the last page uh, at Marvel's behest. Uh, as you know, there was some extreme side boob. <laughs> yes, as She-Hulk should have been crushing Wyatt Wingfoot in bed uh, but you can find the original artwork out there on the web, uh, pretty interesting uh, you got anything else to say on that one? Nope because I'm just, just talking right over you aren't I? <laughs> no that's good No, it was a, it's great, very good art and of course it was that graphic novel experiment that they were very being very successful with which was an, uh, it's slightly smaller than their treasury editions but it was still big, larger than a regular comic at the time, and on that that really good paper and uh, you know full length story. So it was like seventy pages or sixty eight pages of actual story. So a lot of really cool stuff there that was a uh, very innovative and very progressive for the time, right? And and still holds up well. Yeah, now that's Marvel Graphic Novel number eighteen, and it was inked by Kim Demulder. Uh, who I'm not familiar with Kim's other work at all, but uh, Kim definitely seemed to compliment Burns' work beautifully, especially in this <laughs> format. Um, I'm wondering if he used larger pages to do it, since the the, the printing itself is larger pages. Yeah, I was wondering that too. Your standard comic book, um, and then they got that lovely picture on the back cover of Burn uh, sitting there in a doorstep sketching. Um, and they got oh, yeah. Kim DeMolder and Petra Scotese. Now, Petra Scotese, I believe, did the colors. Yes, that is correct. Um, and that was a Mike Carlin editing. Uh, Mike Carlin, Mike Higgins edited that book, which uh, I think they're uh, one of the editing teams that Byrne gets along with pretty well. Yeah. Now, before that, a couple years before that, you know, Byrne had done another graphic novel. Do you know which one I'm talking of? Oh, was that the one with the was that the Avengers one or Mm-mm. this is Super Boxers? Oh no, I don't know that one. Now what it is is um, Ron Wilson uh, created and penciled that. So so he actually did the plotting of it, and then Byrne did the scripting on it, and then it was inked by Armando Gill, and it's got a beautiful Bilson Kevich cover on the front. Um, but, you know, as far as Ron Wilson's artwork goes, it's actually some really, really good stuff. I think he may have used Arnold Schwarzenegger as his character model <laughs> uh, and then put uh, Fabio hair on him. But um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's really good stuff. And, I mean, it again, it's a little different than anything else that you've read uh, by Byrne. It doesn't feel like a Byrne book. It's uh, an interesting future uh, blood sport or uh, 
you know, any, any one of those uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme kind of things where they're wearing claws and other stuff, it's uh, it's almost like that uh, that Hugh Jackman robot boxing movie. <laughs> this is what it makes me think of. <laughs> okay. Kind of. But, yeah. uh, I mean, it's not in the in the class of the other stuff that we've been talking about here, though. Mm. Definitely. Well. I'd say my next one, The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones, issues one and two. You know, I was... What? I've never read any of the Indiana Jones stuff, because Indiana Jones, while I had fun with the, the movie, it just never really, like, uh, never captured my interest. So how is this? This is... It should have been Temple of Doom. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's... <laughs> I mean, I'll go on record right now. Um, out of the Indiana Jones movies, even Crystal Skulls, uh, Temple of Doom is my least favorite. And, I mean, just because how much of a departure it is from the other ones, the style of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Spielberg realized after Temple of Doom he needs to stick to... Like, James Bond's got a formula. Indiana Jones has a formula. You follow that, you're going to keep your fans happy. Temple of Doom didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a much smaller movie than the rest of them. But, you know, that being said, Further Adventures of Indiana Jones 1 and 2, um, you know, it's written by Byrne, penciled by Byrne, but I think it was kind of light pencils. And Terry Austin did the inks on it. And so I think Terry Austin really had a, a much larger hand in the artwork than, than Byrne did. Uh, he didn't enjoy it. It was a very um, uh, hard job to do because it was one of the, uh, aside from what he did at Charlton, it was the first licensed work that he'd done at Marvel. And the the people at Paramount really had their hands in everything. And he kept having to redo things because of what they said mm. and, and, and rewriting the story and whatnot. But those first two issues, you know, read like a real good Indiana Jones story. And he did have a couple, you know, throwback lines that go back to Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I mean, it, it when you first read it, you know, first time you read it, you're like, yeah. But later on, when you're reading it, it's like reading a Peter David book. I don't know, I don't know if you get that reference there. Yeah. Everything in every Peter David book relates to something else. Yeah. And uh, you know, relate, you know, especially like in Star Trek, everything relates to everything. Whereas, you know, Byrne is, is, has always been careful about that. When you read this, you know, there's one or two moments that are just like, okay, you didn't have to do that. But still, I, I see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. really, no, these these play like good good Indiana Jones stories and uh, a lot of fun to read. I can't say that his indie looks like Harrison Ford. It looks more like a, a Ken doll. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just a standard man face, you know. Yeah. Have a, doesn't have the stupid smirk of a Ken doll. Maybe a G.I. Joe. I don't know. But um, it, it just, you know, it's not Harrison Ford. But when you're reading it, you read it in Harrison Ford voice. That makes sense. And, and so, you know, it's like, it, it's fun that those first two issues, you know, they're, they're the crowning gem of that series, as I understand it. There are a couple others in there that I'm told are really, really good. You'd have to ask Scott Gardner or Chris Honeywell, though. Because they're the real pros on the the further adventures of Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. but issues one and two, definitely good to sit down and take a read. It it, it it's a good way to spend some time. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wow, we've got a lot of stories. <laughs> That's for sure. Did you have any other honorable mentions or anything else you want to bring up? Not really. Uh, well, Trial of Reed Richards, Fantastic Four. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, 
basically his entire run on Fantastic Four was good. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I almost said that um, earlier. I was, when I was putting my list together, I said you, you could take any Fantastic Four that Byrne did from the early 200s to his run from 232 to 293, and you could you could say you know just go ahead and binge them all in one day. Yeah, um, they're available. Of course, is you know visionaries books uh, or Omnibuy or um, trade paperbacks. There's so many different versions of it out there, or you can pick and choose and get the individual ones on Comicsology. Yeah. yeah, and I'd like to, I'd like to really be able to say that his work on Wonder Woman or Doom Patrol were really outstanding. But you know, they were good. But you know, I I don't I don't know. They were just good little adventures back and you know bringing it along the way. And I I recommend if you like Wonder Woman, he did a very good run on her uh, with with that character and the the stuff that she brought in or that he brought in to kind of revamp her as well after taking over uh, in 101. But um, nothing really stands out as a oh my gosh you have to read this story well, about you know, that the thing. The thing with Wonder Woman. Aside from the early part of it where it, he was just trying to figure out what he wanted to do because he kind of got thrust into it real quick. Mm-hmm. And that's not like the other books he works on where he takes time, thinks about it, and then comes up with an idea. I mean, because usually what will happen is an editor will call him and say, hey, would you like to do this book? And he'll say no. And they say, really, you, you don't want to do this book? No, no. And they'll come back to him a week later and he goes, well, I've been thinking about it and I drew up these sketches and here's what I came up with, you know. Because, you know, it's like they, they hit him with something and he's intrigued, but he doesn't want to commit. In, in the case of Wonder Woman, he's just like, okay, I'll do it. But he hadn't worked up anything. And so it took him a little while to really find his his lane. But that lane meant getting rid of Diana and bringing Hippolyta in, which some fans just didn't grab onto that. That was like, you know, taking Christopher Reeve out of Superman and recasting him with Burt Reynolds. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's I can't probably say that, a bad comparison, though. I can say, though, that considering the state of the DC Universe at that time, mm-hmm. with the the one, we were still post-crisis, and so we were still dealing with that one shared history. But sending Hippolyta back to World War II to restore Wonder Woman to the Justice Society of America was a really a good call. I'm, that, that's that, a good aspect for me that came out of that. The thing I don't understand is why they could do that, but they couldn't find a way of properly integrating Donna Troy as Donna Troy Wonder Girl. I, I don't get that either. I, I just Donna Troy is Wonder Girl has really been messed up from from the very beginning of that whole thing. So that her character is definitely a casualty, and she's one of my favorite characters of the DC. Who is Donna Troy? The original one is singly one of my favorite issues of a comic book ever. Right, it was it was that, that was a powerful and excellent and you, story. Yeah, you know, people know that I'm I, I call myself a weeper, and that is basically if I read what or see in a movie <laughs> or even in person a human moment, a true human moment, a connection or something along those lines, I, I you'll see tears coming down my face. It is just a you know, a thing that happens, and that book did it. Even at at the young age, I was what, uh, fourteen, or thirteen, thirteen or fourteen when I read that, and I cried. Mm-hmm. My dad had to read it just because he saw the reaction from me. I was just—it was funny. I was sitting there this Saturday, getting ready to go see the movie Battle Beyond the Stars with my friend Matt Barnes, 
and I was reading that beforehand, and my dad was sitting in his chair and and uh, watching The Rifleman, and he sees me reacting. He's going, what's going on? And I told him. I said, it's just a story. The story is so good. And he get, he's like, okay, I'll have to read that. <laughs> now, my dad didn't tear up because my dad never you know, publicly teared up, but he definitely was affected by it because he kept yeah. talking to me about it all the way to while driving me to the theater. So, yeah. Yeah, so the whole, the whole thing that he did to try to make some sense out of Donna Troy's history and all that, uh, admirable attempt, but it was like, and so I don't blame him too hard for it. Like some people are really harsh on him about that, but I'm like, uh, okay. But uh, I did like uh, sending Hippolyta back to restore Wonder Woman to the Justice Society, and I mean there were some good story. I mean it was an enjoyable read. I did enjoy his Wonder Woman run, and I think he was there for like three years. Yeah, he he was there for a few years, and I I've read about ninety percent of it. Um, but I need to get I need to get back to it. I've been wanting to get back to it, but I've got to load it up on my my yep. Kindle, which I've got full right now of other stuff. I've got all the um, the Fumetti's on there right now because I'm doing a reread of that as I'm talking to another friend about the the Star Trek Fumetti's. Hmm. Okay. Uh, well, the, okay. The last the last thing I wanted to bring up, and this is probably another no brainer, but Legends. The DC miniseries Legends that came out uh, around the same time that his Superman run was just, you know, really kicking into gear um, at DC in the late 80s. Now, he just did the artwork, and Carl Kessel did the inks. Uh, He didn't write it. He didn't script it. And yet, it has some pretty nasty stuff towards Jim Shooter in there. (laughs) Uh, the, the Guy Gardner scene, but uh, again, you know, the book is a really, really good book. If if I only if I had one complaint, I would sit there and say the the every issue recap oh, uh, yeah. of of everything got a little too much, especially the recap of Captain Marvel and Macro Man that they that they kept doing. It was like they were beating us over the head with a two by four on that. But beyond that, it is one of the most beautiful series you, you could sit there and see from that era. His work on there is really, really phenomenal, and I, I guess the biggest thing we could say, no, no, isn't this where he introduced that um, that horrible costume for Black Canary? Oh, the uh, the Jazzercise costume, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that is where that came from, and, and oh. there's actually some stuff about that on the web, uh, some other art that uh, alternative art on that. And some discussion about that, I believe, on his website. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, regrettable. But you know, not and every he, day and age do they want fishnets. Now, but that's the thing that really is confusing because right at the time when Legends came out was when the Wonder Years came out, and Kevin was just like so agog that Winnie was wearing fishnet <laughs> first episode. I, I'm just thinking that he's really good about being creative with costuming and stuff i just don't that was just strange <laughs> very strange yeah but yeah, yeah beautiful artwork otherwise his 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 artwork is phenomenal on this series the shazam reveal in the last issue i think it's the last yeah. issue no the issue before last is just phenomenal you're just like why is burn not doing a shazam series because that was just gorgeous yeah. Uh, yeah and you know of course um they used his uh, uh, references when they were making Justice League Unlimited and they did the Brimstone story. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, if you watch that, you, basically the, the the images of Brimstone were practically stolen right out of Legends. 
Okay. And that was wow. one of the very first episodes of uh, JLU, Justice League Unlimited. Okay, I'll have to go back and revisit that if I can find it, since it's been removed from Netflix. Oh, it is. Oh, I, th- I think so. maybe it's Did on it? DC DC Universe. I've, I've got it's that. So I have to look it up. Yeah, I thought that DC had pulled all of its content from Netflix for its own channel now. Yeah, I think they got about ninety percent of it because they got certain agreements they have to let complete. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, so yeah, yeah, I agree with you on Legends. Now, something I forgot to mention earlier I wanted to bring up now. Um, when we're talking about the highways, uh, I'm going to be playing some music over that. And the reason being is, and I'll probably throw in some other music in here and there, but uh, that music actually is the work of Valmor Pedretti Jr., a composer out of Brazil. And actually uh, chatted with him earlier on Facebook uh, about this. He had written this specifically for uh, for uh, the highways. It's like if they Ooh. were ever to turn the highways into a series, he he thought that would just be the perfect music for it. Um, he liked me to go ahead and uh, give credit to his uh, produce music producer name, which is uh, F word the Zeitgeist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'll put that on the web page. Um, as as he's given it to me, but yeah, um, but I mean it's really really cool stuff. I'll probably play it again right here as well. Um, it's That's only about, about a minute long, but it's really really cool. I was I, I thought that was uh, cool. he calls it a small homage to John Byrne. So awesome! Uh, wow. Yeah. But he's he's a nice guy, uh, and uh, he's friends with Nathan Greno too. And um, it was funny because I'm sitting there talking to him about Nathan, and and then all of a sudden I look over and I say, oh, he's friends with him. <laughs> so, so that's cool well that's great and I appreciate him letting us use that yeah yeah I, I like that too uh, so uh, our next episode or as Andrew Leyland would say next time on an all new episode of Third Degree Burn uh, <laughs> we're, we're probably going to be going back to our original format and we are going to go back 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 way back in time and, are you, doing, are you going to do um, the Doom Buggy one? No, I believe Tim has got in the hopper Space 1999. Oh, wow. I have one comic book of Space 1999 because where I grew up, Charlton Comics were not very much on the newsstands. Yeah. So I had never really seen a Space 1999 comic book until I bought a stack on eBay of someone just selling 50 random comic books for like 10 bucks. And I was like, okay, I can't go wrong with that. (laughs) You you want to hear something sad? What? I had never seen an episode of Space 1999 until about three weeks ago. Okay. And? And, And, you know, Tim had told me he'd like to try doing issue three. And so before I even pulled out the books, because I've got the series. Ooh, um, lucky you. Yeah, and three was the first one I got my hands on. Um, and that's uh, 30 years ago. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I'd never watched it. So I, I sat down and I watched the uh, the first episode. And I'm just like, wow, okay, this is kind of cool. You know, I mean, it's dated, definitely. But they really, you know, they were somewhere in between that. Star Trek to Star Trek the Next Generation. There was, uh, you could feel it was like the the morph in between in the middle. Mm-hmm. It was like the like the the bastard stepchild. It but, definitely um, was. Yeah, and and you know, of course, Martin Landau. You know, he's another one of those people that could read the phone book and you'd find a way to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but uh, you know, so so you know, basically that should be our our uh, next episode. All things uh, uh, going normal and to plan. Just hope that Tim can uh, can make it. He's been incredibly busy right now. If we have to do a, another episode in between that, I may ask you and David to do an episode. But I mean, if you guys just want to do one for the can. You know, for us to hold back, and you know, in case we run into this kind of situation, feel free. Or if you want Absolutely. to do something with me, you know, just reach out to me. I'm here, and um, we can we can work something out. But yeah, I think I fun. think that we should go ahead and close up the episode. Oh wait, wait, wait! Actually, before we do that, we actually do have an email, and mm, the email <laughs> was in reference to our Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker discussion. And so this one came... Now, you missed that, didn't you? I did. I was not on that. But you did send us something that we played back during the yes. show. It was in yes. the middle there. And this came from Jack Bond. And Jack Bond's been... A, 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 he's written in a few times uh, in the past, if I remember. He's actually pretty prolific to a lot of shows. Uh, and I even see him on the Burn Forum. So uh, pretty cool. And Jack says, uh, So if in a decade or two... Another Skywalker film is made, and Brian Singer wants to do it as this seven, eight, and nine never happened. Would you watch it? And then he says, sometimes during your discussion of the side films, it struck me what they were doing, introducing Poe's ex-girlfriend and a new family for Finn. In the theater, I was thinking, but there's no triangle to resolve. They're side story bait. Hmm. Well, going back to the, the first one on Brian Singer, I don't know that we're going to be seeing any movies from Brian Singer ever again. Yeah, uh, and, I, I and I'm, so. I'm I'm fine without that. Yeah. Uh, he, 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 not taking any way, anything away from his talent, but uh, the more and more that we hear about Brian Singer behind the scenes, the worse it gets. Yeah, I do not want to support that. But given that any other person would do it, uh, a, a film in the in about this, uh, it's Star Wars. If it's good, I'll watch it. Right, right. Well, I mean, what he's saying there is, of course, you know, Brian Singer did um, Superman Returns, and he ignored the events of three and four. Oh, so you? Oh, talking about uh, ignoring? Um, yeah, ignoring, I'd watch it. Ignoring the 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 sequel trilogy as though they never happened. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if someone's going to go out there and make a movie with Star Wars money and call it Star Wars and use Star Wars characters, even if they're ignoring the sequel trilogy, the prequel trilogy, the original trilogy. I'm probably gonna watch it. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, if, if it's good storytelling, you know, it, I'm I'm good for that. I like it, like Mandalorian. I really enjoyed that. I know oh, it's yes. not technically ignoring anything, but it's not referencing anything either. It's a standalone. So I'm just really enjoying that, and or I really enjoyed that. And yeah, I we'll see when when we come to it. We'll see what happens. I'm a fan that just enjoys the the universe and the world that they've got in there, and if they switch it up and whatever, as long as the story is good and the the talent that goes into it, uh, the actors are putting their their best efforts into it. I'm I'm down for that. What about what about um, the um, Dave Filoni series that uh, are coming out? You know, like the Star Wars Rebels, Clone Wars, the Resistance. I don't I don't know if the Resistance is a Filoni series or not. But, um, I haven't seen those. I haven't seen them yet. And the 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 Clone War sagas that came out as an animated. My one of my very good friends was like, John, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. But it was all I, I, I had so much of life going on that um, 
I never actually got a chance to sit down and watch the whole series from beginning to end. So I got to see bits and pieces of it, and I really enjoyed all that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think someone needs to put out, um, and I would hope that Chris Honeywell or Hope Mullinex, who, uh, you know, they did that J Guys and Jedi show where they, they've been recapping all of the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, and I'm sure they'll get to Resistance. But um, someone needs to put out a roadmap of what episodes you absolutely must watch to move the the story forward, because there's a lot of Jar Jar show episodes, you know, um, or episodes that you that you really wish you could skip. Mm-hmm. Um, but in you know, of course, there was a bit a bit of news that came out just the other day that for Man- Mandalorian season two, Rosario Dawson is going to be playing Ahsoka Tano. Saw that, and I'm excited for that. Of course, I just think that she's a great actress, but um, I, I, I'm glad to see that they're including her in the live action. Uh, piece so that that should be really really interesting yeah yeah it'll be great to see this it'll be great to see them fold into this characters or characters adjacent to what's already been on there so i, I like that they're keeping it in the the world building or the universe building the galaxy building that that they've done which will be fun yeah i hope that uh favreau gets to direct <laughs> oh yeah he's doing yeah. such a good job yeah he's doing a great job as a showrunner there and he said he was going to be directing some some episodes here, so we'll see that. Yeah. But the writing has just been pretty much spot on. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Well, okay. Now, now, the other thing, you know, you're talking about uh, Poe's ex-girlfriend and the family for Finn. Really, they, again, they kind of cut things up a lot as they're putting this movie together because it's supposed to turn out that that girl was actually Lando's daughter. And, really? Uh, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, the whole remember thing at the end, he goes, well, let's find, you know, she, she he goes, you don't know who your people are? Well, let's find out. And they're just going to find out that it's actually his daughter. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, you know, JJ apparently made a statement somewhere about that. And as far as the, the triangle, uh, what triangle to resolve? Now they're talking about Ray and Finn and Poe. I think I mean, so. The thing is, is like the, the only thing you really have to worry about is poe and finn as a couple and i mean the 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 love shared between them is just as strong as you know the love that that finn seemed to share for ray and -hmm. if they'd gone that direction i wouldn't have had a problem with it i know that you know that not every fan is going to go that way and i i don't know how you feel about that um i'm i'm i I support it that's cool (laughs) i mean was it something that you saw again you know as as the the mundane, the muggle here. Um, watching that, I thought, you know, they had a really good friendship. I thought it was, you know, it's, it, it reminded me of friendships that I had in the past. So I didn't necessarily see it that way. But, you know, from your perspective, is there, it was there friendship? Could their friendship have been more than that? Or was that just people reading too much into it? Well, I, I see that they laid the groundwork that if they decided to move in that direction, it would not be out of the blue. Uh, it you know because it just seemed to me like yeah they were very close friends and you know we all have people that you know we got their back and they are as close to us as can be and it's not a, a love relationship as a partnership like that but I also saw that well if they decided to take the chance and move it into that direction and explore those feelings that it wouldn't be completely wonky and weird like say han and han and luke doing 
you know, them coming out saying, yeah, Han and Luke are a couple now. It's like, what? Yeah, no, yeah, okay. I got you. <laughs> you know what I'm I hope saying? I didn't offend you in any way there. No, not, I, not at all. I, I mean, I, th- I think it would be cool if, if they pursued that because you know, that's a great opportunity to um, explore a whole new aspect of relationship and how people deal with things. But, um, yeah, no, it's a great uh, – yeah, it is a it is a different love triangle to, re- to resolve there, and it would be interesting to see how they would do that. Well, he did make him a general. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the end of the, the – I really liked the way that they resolved it. It was – it was a good good film. Um, looking forward to what they're going to be making more of, and yeah, if they I, make more Mandalorian style stuff, that's going to be absolutely outstanding. And you know, I, I keep hearing stuff about a Ewan McGregor Obi Wan series, and I mean, I hope it happens. I mean, Ewan McGregor was was so made to play Obi Wan. Um, I mean, except for the fact that he doesn't look like Alec Guinness, but that's right. okay. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just. You could watch him just playing Obi Wan, and, and and that would that would be great. So I mean, let's let's see it. But yeah, I don't Brian, understand you know, what, what you know. What's interesting is that Ewan McGregor is almost as old as Alec Guinness was when he played Obi Wan. <laughs> Mark Hamill is uh, right. <laughs> Ewan McGregor's younger than me. Is he? Yeah. I thought, I thought he was in his fifties by now. Okay, my mistake. No, I, I think he's still in his in his forties. Um, let me okay. um. See now you got me. You got me thinking. Um, man, and my mistake. Apologize. No, don't apologize. Um, let's see. You and McGregor. It's going slow. 1971. So he's 49. Okay. Yeah, but I mean, he still looks like a child. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Yeah, he's 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 got those you know youthful looks and 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 such. And again, you know, him being in in this age is the perfect age for this series to be done. Yeah, that age between Revenge of the Sith and um, A New Hope. Yeah. So, so so this would be um, the Adventures of Obi Wan, the Tatooine years. You know, the thing is, it doesn't have to be. It could I know. be. It could be even before that, even before Attack of the Clones or whatever. They could. They could throw it in any age. It's. It's. Yeah. You know, just whatever they want to do. Yeah. But I mean, it's kind of like Obi Wan being James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. See, and maybe the series could end with him exiling himself to Tatooine, which would be cool. Well, now they so make it like out that. at the at the end of Revenge of the Sith, like that's what he's going to do: stay there and watch Luke. There's a few fan films out there of Obi-Wan doing stuff to save Luke when he was a young kid. Yeah. Um, they're worth a look, but they're not not the greatest stuff ever. An Obi-Wan series is going to be would be cool cuz we get to see a lot of really great stuff. So, yeah. Um, we'll see how it goes. Yep, yep. Anyway, you got anything else? Hey. No, hey, thanks. Um, and, this and, is great. And thanks to Jack Bond uh, for writing in. Thank you to Valmor Pendretti Jr. Uh, for your music yeah, and uh, your kind words. And everybody, just, you know, stay safe, stay inside. Don't go out unless you absolutely need to go out and get something. And please, please, please don't fight over toilet paper. Yeah. And send us your five favorite John Byrne stories. Absolutely. Uh, either on the Facebook or by email. If we miss yeah. something, we want to know. We want to know because, I mean, I've got all these. I could reread all these, but I, you know, I'm always looking for something new 
always looking for something different. And yeah, again, I'm not going to just relegate myself to John Byrne. I, I you know, from time to time, we'll go oh, back and, you know, again, there's stuff that we didn't even talk about. I, I don't think Tim and I have ever discussed um, Byrne's newer Spider-Man work. You know, chapter stuff that one. He did, yeah, stuff he did with Mackie. Yeah, chapter one he did it on his own, but the Amazing Spider-Man stuff he did with Mackie. Um, you know, there's yeah, there's definitely you know grounds to be covered there. Yeah, and uh, you know I've I've read some of it, but not all of it. Mm. Um, I don't I, have as big a complaint as most people, but you know again, I don't either. I actually enjoy chapter one. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, well, oh. uh, unless there's anything else for third degree right. burn, I'm Brian Hughes, and I'm John Hyatt. Thanks, and have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. If you're interested in any of the books we cover in the show, just head over to tutufreaks.com and use the Amazon link to shop. This doesn't cost any extra, but it really helps support the shows. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Be mayor. Ah.